Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Wendy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. I'm really glad to be here. Um, I started program in Los Angeles, and I now live in the Valley, so I don't uh, get out to as many L.A. meetings as I'd like to. So um, I'm passing around the photos, and because I know I'm being taped and some people may hear this, I'm going to do my best not to cuss like a sailor, as I normally do, and to also qualify. Um, I've been coming to the room since 1994. I am down um, a little over 80 pounds from my top weight of 223 pounds, and I've been maintaining that for close to a year. It's still relatively new, and my story does include relapse, which I'll tell you about. Um, so there you go. It, it's very funny, though. I think kind of recently, a few months ago, someone came up to me and said, oh, I'm so glad you brought your photos because, you know, I thought you had been an anorexic or something, and I just laughed. That was just funny, you know. Not like it's a compliment, but that just made me just crack up. I thought that was very amusing. So that's why I bring them as proof. Um, okay, so I'll tell you a bit about me. I'm from the L.A. area, and I was raised in a not particularly Jewish household with a bunch of compulsive overeaters, with a bunch of people who were good people. I wasn't abused, thank God. I've heard horrible stories in these rooms. But um, people who taught me that food was love, and food was celebration, food was comfort, food was essentially my friends. You know, it was my ninth tool. Today I have eight tools. I don't need that, like, as a ninth tool today. But um, I was bought mitzvah, I did the whole Jewish thing, but I never really grasped the concept of God. When I heard people talking about God, or if I saw someone wearing a mezuzah, or a cross, or anything on their neck, I just sort of, ugh, just sort of my back went up like a cat. I didn't like it. I didn't know why I didn't like it, but just hearing about God and stuff, to me it kind of felt like hearing about ghost stories, just something I didn't like and didn't want to hear about. So, um, you know, my experience grew up, got big, big, bigger, and was teased in school. You all know how, well, not all of you, but a lot of you know how charming kids can be in junior high school when you're overweight. And just um, the pain of being a kid and being overweight, it's just not fun. And also getting teased by your family, who's overweight too. You know, that's also lots of fun. You know, being called thunder thighs by my dad and all that kind of cute stuff. So, you know, I developed this sort of persona, you know, just laugh and, and push it off and kind of ignore it. But um, I was just, you know, I, I don't think I was ever truly happy. And um, I sort of, you know, the tears of a clown like that, you know, Smokey Robinson song. And um, so, you know, I went on my first and only successful diet. And I don't even know if we can call it successful because it didn't last. The, re the end result didn't last that long. But in high school, I took off. Um, I went from about 185 to 135 in a healthful manner. I mean, I think it took me about a year. I exercised. It was the 80s. Visualized me in, you know, matching leg warmers and leotard and hot blue, you know, <laughs> leggings, okay? So I did that whole thing. I counted my calories religiously. I kept it at 1,200. All was well. Until, just like every compulsive overeater tends to think, uh, except for those who are blessed to just have a straight-up, easy-peasy abstinence, once I hit the goal weight, then I can just take a little bit of this back, or I can take a little bit of that behavior back, and then lo and behold, wham, slam, you know, I'm in college, and uh, not looking at the scale, because I never liked the scale, you know. The doctors like putting me on the scale and telling me, you know, you really ought to lose weight. But, um... You know, I found myself a, a college graduate in the early 90s, and when I finally did have the courage to get on the scale right after program, it's at 223, and, you know, how, did, how the hell did that happen? You know, I didn't plan that, right? So, um, you know, I had the experience of being a normal weight for a short period, and um, 
To be honest, I was very uncomfortable with it because boys were noticing me, teachers were saying things, girls were saying things, and I just felt very uncomfortable. And in retrospect, I think I was angry because I was angry that I was being noticed for my body size and not for who I was, you know, because I was still the same person. I was still the same good old Wendy, and I was. I still had the same character defects. I still had the same behaviors, all this kind of stuff that, you know, is the thread of what we are because as my sponsor constantly reminds me, the food is but a symptom. You know, I was at a meeting, gosh, I, I led a meeting on the West Side a couple months ago, and someone was just crying, it's the food, it's the damn food. It's not the food, you guys. It's what's in here. This is what the problem is. You know, I have a problem with living. I don't have a problem with food. It manifests in food because that's my drug of choice, and I have to deal with what's upstairs. But by using the food all those years, I blocked it off, and I couldn't take a look at what's up here. And it's a, you know, it's a growth process day at a time. So how did I get here? Um, I moved back from college. I moved in with my mother and grandmother to the West Valley. And then I landed my first job, my first, you know, full-time job, and decided to move out with an old gay high school roommate. And that was awesome. It was great to have the freedom to do what I wanted, to stay out late, all this kind of stuff. And I um, found myself on a Sunday, I think it was a Sunday, back and forth to the fridge, planning to have like two of the lowest calorie quesadillas you can imagine, you know, paper thin corn tortillas, lowest fat cheese, and I have seven. So I picked up the phone and I called my mother, you know, who's a compulsive over here also, and said, hey mom, what's that OA thing you used to do in the 70s? She said, oh, funny you should mention, I was thinking about going back. So this was in January of 94, right after that big earthquake hit in Northridge. And she gave me the number for the Los Angeles Intergroup. And then I went to my first meeting, and I realized when I went to the first meeting that I went to a, a teenager's meeting at the Darby office um, before I could drive. Because I think my mom was doing OA at the time and, you know, thought it might be good for me. And I heard these kids talking about God, and I ran out because I didn't want to hear about God because I thought God was, you know, creepy and, like, you know, for ghosts. So I... Um, I uh, go to this meeting at the log cabin. There used to be a meeting there many years ago on a Sunday night. Eventually it folded because people stopped wanting to take service positions, and that's kind of what happens to meetings. They dry up if people don't step it up. And um, I thought the people were strange. They gave me hugs. They smiled. But they talked about food in a way that I could relate. And so I decided to set aside, I'm not going to say throw away, but just set aside my preconceived notions and, you know, okay, they're talking about God, but they're also talking about being loonies with food and body, so perhaps I can open my mind just to squidge and listen. So um, I got what I call now my first God shot, and it's funny how I start to call this higher power thing God. I, I get a phone call at the office one day, and it's a woman who said, hey, Wendy, I heard you pitch that you're having trouble coming up with a food plan, you might need some help would you like me to be your food sponsor? And I said, well, sure, that's great, but how did you get this work number? And she said, well, your roommate gave it to me. And I thought that was really strange because my roommate and I didn't give out work phone numbers because God knows who was calling us at home because at that time we shared a phone number. But I just, you know, accepted it. And then later I went, oh, yeah, that, that's really interesting that that happened. So um, my early days of abstinence, back then um, – my absence and my food plan were one humongous blob, and it was a hell of a lot of rules. It was, you know, a lot of uh, stuff like no red meat, no cheese, no chocolate, no blah, 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 blah. It was just like a whole big kind of list of no's. And that, you know, in retrospect, that could have been what I needed at the time. Um, today, and I'll get into that later, my absence and my food plan are two very different animals, and I'm so grateful for that. So 
I had this abstinence. I wouldn't say it's the mo- it was the most strict abstinence on the planet, but I didn't do snacks and um, and I didn't start exercising immediately. The best I could do was to call this sponsor, who was an older Orthodox Jewish woman, who said to me, "All right, start calling me at you know it was like seven in the morning." And I worked in the music business, so I you know I was rolling into the office nine thirty ten. So for me to pick up the, you know to wake up and be kind of conscious and awake, getting up at six thirty six forty five was insane. But I did it, you know, I did it. I started working the steps with her um, out of the OA 12 and 12, which I think was relatively new. I think that book only came out in the very early 90s. It hasn't been around that long. And um, so we started doing the work. Weight started coming off. People started noticing. And I didn't feel as angry and resentful as I had as a teenager. And I think this is because I started feeling better. Because I was going to... Three, maybe four meetings a week, the ones where I was very comfortable. I felt very comfortable at the gay and lesbian meetings. Um, I felt really comfortable at the all-women's meetings. I didn't step outside that box for a while. But um, I just felt a lot of love and support, support and compassion. And I was so closed off from my feelings that I didn't know I didn't love myself. And I didn't know, you know what I mean, I, I didn't know so many things about myself. And even today I feel that I'm still learning, you know, a day at a time. Oh, you really like the ocean. Oh, you kind of like being outside and in the sun, you know. It's really interesting what happens is your mind starts to open in this program. So I didn't feel resentful. And then it just occurred to me one day, Okay, I'm acting as if, I'm acting as if, I'm doing what they say to do. You know, if you don't believe in, a go- in God, higher power, just act as if. The group can be your higher power. And one thing it occurred to me, well, I'm taking off weight. I don't feel deprived. I actually like these weird little meetings where we get together and we talk about food and life and what's going on in our heads. And um, I said, okay, maybe, just maybe there's something outside of myself. Just maybe. Okay, so that was just like the little key in the door, you know, the, the key, the unlocking of the door, and um, it was pretty amazing, and uh, so the weight continued to come down, and uh, I remember being in the doctor's office, getting on the scale, she puts me on, and I wasn't weighing that regularly, I think my sponsor and I finally decided, okay, once a month, and uh, she puts me on, and oh, I'm 154, oh, how did that happen, that's kind of cool, and then for whatever reason, the ego reason, I get asked, you know, I'm sponsoring people, I'm leading meetings, you know, my weight is down, everyone says, you look so fabulous, and I wasn't saying, you know, I I wasn't making a secret that I was in this fellowship, because I'm I'm, I'm proud to be a member of OA, but um, I, you know, weight comes off, you feel good, well, just a little bit of this, and just a little bit of that, and... um, and I also stopped being quite as honest with my sponsor because she was an older woman. I was young and silly and in my early 20s. And sometimes young women in their early 20s just kind of do silly things when they don't have the best self-esteem. I won't get too graphic here, but I think some of you might know what I'm talking about. And she'd say things like, well, you know, if you're going to get into a relationship, blah, blah, blah. And I just I felt I couldn't relate anymore. So I kind of woke up. I had a temporary wake-up, you know. But, but still, even back then, I still feel I was in a bit of the fog. And I said, you know what? I really need to get a sponsor I can relate to. So thanks. So if things aren't working out with your sponsor, my experience, because I try not to give so much advice anymore, because I usually want to be able to fix people. Well, I know how to fix your problem. I don't know how to fix my own stuff, so how do I know how to fix yours? In my experience, if it's not working with a sponsor, if you're not being honest, if you're not coming clean, probably need to change sponsors. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it takes a while to find a match, you know. Find someone who has what you want, ask how he or she is achieving it. They may not have everything that you want. You know, they may not have the flashy car, the fantastic job, the amazing relationship, but maybe they're a little bit more spiritually evolved than you are. Maybe they just have a sense of calm around them, you know. 
So I found a woman um, in the meetings, and I broke up with the first sponsor, and it didn't go so well. I just said, thank you for so much for all your help, but I'm going to work with another sponsor. And she basically said, okay, fine, click. And that was it. And I, and I vowed that I would never, you know, have that happen with a sponsor again, and thank God it hasn't happened. But um, so I found this other sponsor and realized, ooh, I guess I'm in relapse. I didn't want to confirm it by actually getting on the scale, but my step work had slowed down. I was in eating behaviors that I hadn't been doing. My meetings quotient was kind of low. So I said to this new sponsor, okay, I want to start over. And she was so loving and gentle. I said, Wendy, are you sure? Are you sure that you really want to start over? Do you not want to just call this a slip? No, 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 no. I'm going to be humble. You know, the program tells us to be humble. So I started over, and that was in 1997. But... I can't tell you what I weighed at that point because that was always the big fear. But you see, the scale is not the enemy. The food is not the enemy. This, this crud in the middle here is my enemy, okay? So I was kicking and clawing, please let me get back that early abstinence. But I wasn't willing to do any of the action. It was like, okay, you didn't eat X, Y, and Z. But I kept eating X, Y, and Z. Or I kept doing other things. I kept trying to find the outside solution. I'd say to a friend who lost a lot of weight, hey, what's your food plan? Oh, you don't eat any bread or pasta? Okay, I'm going to try that. So for six months, I did that. And I would have a pound of rice at every meal. Didn't make a lot of a lot of sense, you know. Because abstinence and food plan are like shoes. They don't fit you. Well, shoes is not even the best example. But just something that's so unique. It has to fit you individually. So then I went to see the nutritionist. And the nutritionist was lovely and had me read this interesting book. We don't quote outside literature. And would say things to me, Wendy, if you want some bread from the bread basket, have a piece of bread. And if you want dessert, share it with your boyfriend. And, um, you know, have less of your actual meal. Well, that works great if you're a normal eater and if you're wild like a normal person, but I am not, you know. So I played with that for a while, took off a little weight, but, but she indulged me. She wouldn't tell me what my weight was. She'd weigh me. She'd see my progress or non-progress, but wouldn't tell me because I was so freaked out about this damn scale. So, um, you know, higher power intervened. And by this point, I slowly started calling it God. God, by this point, for me, intervened. This woman got pregnant. She sent me to another nutritionist who was so, like, over the top, I couldn't deal. It, it's funny. It took me about four or five sessions to go, okay, she's all the way out in Manhattan Beach. She's telling you, you're like an animal. You have your feedings per day. I, I just wasn't gelling with that at all. It just didn't work for me. So I finally stopped and went, duh, you know, maybe it's time to work on my program. Now, by this point, I had switched sponsors, and um, I'm still with my current sponsor. We're not sure exactly how long. We've probably been together five or six years now. Um, and I want to sort of get to, uh, more to, like, what it is today. So here's what happened. I'm sitting doing step work at the end of two, uh, 2004. It's an awesome time. I mean, 2003 had been bad. There had been deaths in the family, friends, um, people dying. Just not a good time. But I was abstaining from, I think, like all sweets. But it wasn't doing anything because I wasn't looking at the rest of it, and I was still doing maybe like three meeting, three-ish meetings a week. And living in the valley and, and staking my claim, saying, I hate those valley meetings, I hate those valley people, and stubbornly clinging to that because I didn't, you know what I mean, I didn't want to open up my mind. So my sponsor and I are sitting there, and I said, you know, I eat a bagel and cream cheese every single morning for breakfast. And she said, well... Is there something else that you think you might be able to do or try? And uh, Okay. So we did that, and we continued doing our step work. 
And then she dropped the bomb on me, like, about a month later and says, hey, I'm working with so-and-so from the Valley, you know, insert name of a uh, 100-pounder who's kept her weight off for well over a decade, like over a decade and a half. And I was scared poopless because I'm on being taped. I was really scared. And she said, and we're going to do five meetings a week, and we're going to weigh ourselves once a week, and we're really going to get into that big book. You know, horrors, horrors, this old antiquated text where it's a bunch of old drunks talking, which I read now and again over the years, but it was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. But I decided I had nothing to lose. I decided I was just going to go for it. And if I had to break it with my sponsor, so be it, you know. So I started working my program in this sort of way. And um, I went to a very useful workshop, which um, has been done in various intergroups, including this one, including the San Fernando Valley, South Bay, uh, called the ABCs of Abstinence. And um, there it wasn't said to me, this is the way to work your program, but it was suggested that I come up with an abstinence that I could live with if, God forbid, you know, my business went to pot tomorrow. And I should mention that in this program, you know, I came in in my early 20s. I worked for the man. I now have my own business. It's fairly successful. I get to work from home. I'm so grateful. And, um, and I own my own home, which is another miracle. But uh, so, sorry, so sort of back to the point about um, – Having an absence I could live with, I lose my house, you know, my boyfriend dies. You know, all kinds of horrible things could happen. What could you live with? And by this point, I become a bit more active. Um, so, you know, not because I'm a very, I'm by nature a very slothful person. I don't want to do a damn thing. I just want to lie in bed all day. I really do, and that's, what, that's how I used to live. You know, I'm not one of those people who says, oh, I just love exercise, you know. But I started taking action. I've heard people for years, pray for the willingness, pray for the willingness. But I finally realized I had to take some action. And then once I saw I did stuff, then I became more willing to continue and take more action. Because um, I can say I'm willing, but if I'm not willing to do anything or take any action or any small steps, nothing's going to happen because it's all in my head. So the absence I came up with for myself was three meals and one to three snacks. Um, some of my friends, you know, in the program, that's it. No foods are off limits. No foods are red lights. I only have three things that I absolutely abstain from, and I know I have crossed over that line if I have picked up those foods. Um, and those are individual for me. Because what I have now come to believe is that uh, sobriety is for the alcoholic. They don't drink. You know, the people in NA, they don't pick up, they don't do drugs, and I believe they probably also don't drink. I don't know that program so well. In MA, you don't smoke pot, okay? For me, my abstinence has to be black and white. My food plan, that's a different story. So, you know, technically we could say my abstinence is perfect. Has it been a perfect abstinence, you know, for coming up on nine years since that initial relapse? Hell no. But is this abstinence going to be my abstinence till I die? You bet. I don't, I don't intend on breaking this abstinence. That's why it has to be so simple for me. I can't blow it with three meals, three snacks. I was in Tokyo, you know, last year. I can go anywhere and have this abstinence, you know. I have boundaries around my food. My snacks have certain boundaries around them. I have certain boundaries around other ways that I eat, which, you know, if you want to ask me about that, I can tell you. But, um... Once I did that and started having these boundaries, I was then able to have more boundaries in my life. Boundaries with clients, <coughs> boundaries with family, boundaries with friends. And that's the painful work in the program. Once I put down, you know, the tool of food, now comes the real challenge, the living, the living, the living. Um, you know, 
So they, you were given so many examples in the big book, you know. We're like the actor trying to arrange the show. When things don't go our way, we try to be gracious and kind. And then we turn into real you-know-what when it doesn't go the way we want it to go. And, you know, I'm a very willful person. I'm driving over here. You know, I have a lovely sponsee in the room, and I'm saying, hey, if I'm late, please tell them I'm not a flake. But, you know, I was coming, getting my nails done, and I'm driving, and I'm feeling all tense, even though I've got my windows down listening to a great CD. And finally, I just went, you know what? If God wants me there at the right time, I'll get there at the right time, you know, because that's what it's going to be. I don't need to speed and get into an accident and put myself at risk. And wouldn't you know it, I made it with like five or six minutes to spare, which was awesome, because when I finally turn it over, that's what happens. It usually gets taken care of. Not always the way I want it to. I mean, today it definitely worked out the way I want it to, but I'm so stubborn that I have to be like, uh, up against the wall, asses on fire, you know, no other way out, absolutely no other way out. Because, you know, the, like the big book says, I create my own misery. It's either big book or AA 1212. I do create my own drama. I create my own misery. And um, it's, uh, you know, it's not pretty. And um, I, I find that the more I turn it over, you know, we're in the steps every day, all days, okay? But lately I've really been, and I just completed step 12 with my sponsor, um, but I find that for me at the core it has to really be step 3 and step 11. I have to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to God as I understand God. And then, you know, 11, I have to seek through prayer and meditation. We, well, it says we sought through prayer and meditation because it's a we program. The way I worked my program in the early years was I had my sponsees, I had my sponsor, I got to the meeting on time, as soon as it was over, pretty much I left. I was out of there. I didn't do outreach calls. Today, things have changed. I'm on the San Fernando Fernando Valley Intergroup Board doing events. Ugh. Who would have ever thought I would want to be of service on that level? But I do it, you know, not because I'm such a wonderful, generous person, but I do it to save my, you know, behind. That's why I do it. And you know what? The more I do it, and it's so funny, you know, I go to the board meetings and and I go to the uh, delegates meetings and I go, ugh, ugh, I've got a meeting. It's always pleasant and it's always a fine experience. And it's just dealing with people and it's people who care about their fellowship, because this is, yeah, thanks, because this is a fellowship. OA really feels like my family today, and, um, you know, I was taught to learn to love others and then to eventually learn to love myself, and it's really hardest to work it with family. Um, you know, it's very difficult to work program with family, because they know where the buttons are, they created them, et cetera, et cetera, but I find myself more and more when I'm really, like, cross with my father and ugh, I don't hang up on him anymore and I try not to swear but I'll call him back and I'll say hey I'm really sorry it just wasn't a good time for me to talk and I set up boundaries you know if he calls during business hours I said it's going to have to go to voicemail I don't want to pick up my phone during business hours because it makes me nutso um, and the biggest miracle happened of all you know um, praying is a tool that I only recently picked up probably I'm, I'm now into the writing tool. I was joking with my sponsor. I think maybe I pick up a tool like once every like two years or so because I'm really slow at doing all of them. But they're all so useful. And I hated writing. And praying was just so foreign to me. It was such a weird concept. So I had to start small, you know, saying third step prayer in the morning or like seventh step. Um, and But in a lot of meetings, you know, it says let's, you know, think of the person who's still suffering and I would always think of my mother because she's always been in and out over the years and she's never she never worked a program she never worked the steps so I was always kind of praying for her to come back and you know just her health had been so poor and I was very upset um you know I occasionally say something about the meetings but you know what we're attraction rather than promotion I just had to be an example and then my mother saw that I turned my program around that I 
started really allowing my higher power to work through me and with me. And uh, she came back, and I gave her a year candle today. And that was just amazing. Ooh, tearing up, and not usually. It was um, fantastic. You know, it was just wonderful to, to give my mother that candle because I know that she's truly entrenched in our OA mafia now. I don't think she's going to go out because she's, you know. And she said, and I'm writing my fourth step, and I'm crying. And I said, you know what? Yeah, that happens. But I'm going, wow, I did my fourth When I did my fourth step, I didn't really cry about it. But I cry a lot more today, and it's because my sponsor has me doing the writing. Because if all the crap is just living up out in your head and you talk, talk about it. You might call your friends and program. You might talk to your sponsor. But when you actually put the pen on the paper, there's something, there's some sort of release. You're really letting it go, you know. And I'm going through some stuff now. And um, it's not easy stuff. But I'm, you know, I'm always inspired by my fellow LA people because everyone is so honest here. We're trying to live honestly and well. And sometimes in my life, you know, there's certain aspects where I haven't been so honest lately. And it doesn't feel good. And I have to be very careful because as an addict, that's going to manifest in the food, you know. Portions will start to get bigger. I have this friend in the valley. She said, my food's not sloppy. I'm sloppy. And it's true. It's kind of like, you know, oh, God willing, I'll have nine years at the end of September. God is always willing. It's just, am I willing? Am I willing to do the work? It takes a lot of work to, you know, to get here. It really, it really takes a lot of work. And, you know, I just don't, I don't make the excuses anymore to my sponsor. When I committed, I would do the writing. I would say, oh, like if I'd been given an assignment, oh, well, you know, I just oh, was so slammed with work yesterday and I got home so late, man. You know what? Even if I just write for five minutes, I think that's considered acceptable. So I just do it, you know. I just stick to my food plan to the best of my ability. Sometimes it's not perfect. Definitely it's not perfect sometimes. Is my abstinence on target? Yeah, it has to be because it has to be black and white for me because if I cross that line, I know where I'm headed, you know, and Whatever, I don't think you guys will get upset, but I know that I cannot eat table bread like a lady. Can I have a sandwich? Hell yeah, I can have a sandwich. But I can't eat table bread like a lady because you give me, if I start with the table bread, that's what I want for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I just can't. I really am, you know, I am a crack hoe with that stuff, so I just can't do it. Um, and I had to realize that. And the thing that's so ironic was that that early blobby misshapen abstinence, that was on there. And I forgot about those little things because I am stubborn. I'm stubborn. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. But the joy I get in working with other people and sharing my experience, strength, and hope, there's nothing like it. You know what I mean? It can Getting a phone call from a fellow can stop a shopping binge. It can stop, you know, like malicious thoughts. It can stop all sorts of actions that don't make me, the, you know, a woman who wants to live with dignity and grace. I have some friends in the Valley who talk about being a woman of dignity and grace. You know, someone that you can hold your head up high. That's why we do this step work. That's why we make amends to people. You know, um, when I was doing some amends, I think it was put to me or I heard, because you hear so many gems over the years, you know, if you walked into, if you're walking down the street, who would you go, uh, uh, and like, you know, people on the tape, I'm putting my hands on my eyes, like, who would you not want to see? Who would you not want to run into? And that's the one you have to make amends to. And this year, I got to make amends to an old boss for padding the expense account, just like it says in the big book. And I um, foolishly had mentioned this to my boyfriend. He said, oh, no, well, what if she, what if she tried to sue you? And blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, geez, because that hadn't even occurred to me. Cause my head just didn't even go there. So I made the amends. She didn't want any money from me. But I insisted that I said to her, I'm going to donate it to charity on your behalf. And I did. And money was, I wasn't doing so great at that period when I did this money. You know what? I beg your pardon. I think it was last year when I made these amends because it was around Hurricane Katrina. So I donated to funds there. I donated to some animal charities because 
that was what my sponsor directed me to do. She said, oh, she wouldn't take your money? Okay, you get to take that, you know, I think it was like 300 or 400 bucks. You get to take that money and donate it to charity. I'm like, oh, shit, really? And she said, yeah, you do. So I did it, you know, because I respect my sponsor and I do what she says. You know, she's my, she's my spiritual guide. I have spiritual friends on the path, and I do get spiritual guidance from other friends, but I've learned to really trust people in this program. And there's, um, you know, there's some, there's some lines in the big book that they're very open-ended. They're really open to interpretation. I guess people who study Bible, which has never been me, it's the same kind of deal. But, you know, there's this one line that's just coming to my head right now that says, uh, you know, we trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. And I used to really take issue with that. I'm like, what? You mean I shouldn't learn how to trust myself? That's bogus. I don't like that. That's horrible. But no, it's, it's learning how to trust God instead of just trusting ourselves. Because oftentimes, as an addict, my first instinct is not the right thing to do. You know what I mean? My intuition is clagged by a lot of old, crappy thinking and not the way that I'm trying to live today. So I have to really examine it and run it by some people. You know, when the chatter is really loud and rah, rah, you must get, you must get, that's usually the addict speaking. Or, you know, hey, you know what? That food would be a really great idea. You haven't had that in so long. That would be an awesome idea. That's usually, you know, the disease. Because uh, it sounds ugly, but it's true. We do live with something on a daily basis that wants us dead. But the gratitude is we don't have to let it pull us down because we've all got each other, you know. I felt so grateful today. I just, you know, there's a 7.30 a.m. meeting I hit in the valley. On a Saturday morning, you know, unless you have children, why, why on earth are you up at that hour? That's, like, ridiculous. And I wasn't just up, you know, to give my mom the candle because that's a meeting that I try to go to quite regularly. And I was just sitting there, and it's a big packed room. It's a really full room because people want the recovery. Um, a lot of chips given, and just there's a lot of hope there, a lot of honesty. And uh, that's really what it's about, you know, like it says in, in the uh, invitation. Wait, it's not an invitation to you. Chapter 5, you know, those who cannot be honest. And, um, you know, we aspire to be all these things. So we try to, you know, open our minds more and, and be more honest. But it really is about honesty because I wasn't honest with myself for so many years. I didn't want to know what I weighed. I didn't want to look at what I was eating, my, my role in my disease, you know, feeding my disease, listening to it, letting it run my life and control my life. And when I turn the results over... It's unbelievable. And time and time again, I learned that, you know. But time and time again, I have to trip and fall, and I have to be up against the wall and remember these little silly things I have in my room, like my God can. Oh, why don't you put this little note to God in your God can? That might actually help. And, I mean, for me to stand here, you know, twelve year, my 12th year, and say, God is really weird because I, it just, it's very strange, you know, for this, you know. I don't even know if I'd say I was agnostic or atheist. Just the word God, that stuff just wasn't a part of my vocabulary. It was just um, such a foreign concept to me. But um, I'm, just, I'm just so grateful, and uh, let's see how I'm doing time-wise. You know, I, uh, I wouldn't mind opening up for questions now. I thought I kind of told you my story and, you know, how I work things differently. And just, I guess... The last thing I want to leave you with, if you're thinking about taking just a little tiny action, just do it because you're going to be amazed at the results, okay? Just a little small thing. No matter how scared you are, just call a friend. Call your sponsor and say, hey, I, I do this all the freaking time, but I'm going to try just doing it differently just for today and see what happens. You might be blown away. Thank you. So does anyone have any questions? Yes. I need to talk a little bit about the, your God shot, but how did you 
feel like you knew when you came to believe that a power greater than yourself? Oh, yes. Um, I, I was asked how, how did I really know when I came to believe that God uh, restored me to sanity? How did I really take step three? Sort of just paraphrasing, right? How did I really come to that conclusion? Um, I've had little blips and blobs of it over the years, but it's so interesting you asked me because my sponsor and I were talking about this. Most recently we did that 12th step. You know, having had a spiritual awakening in the 12th step, um, I think the most recent spiritual awakening was when I sat with her in that Starbucks and I said that to her and I made that commitment because I knew that left to my own devices, I couldn't make that commitment. Do you know what I mean? I knew I had to have a power greater than myself and I really had to turn to it because I, I really kind of was a slave to that bagel, like I was a slave to a lot of my behavior. So once I started doing it and it was really, it was so hard at first, you know, and then it sort of became more like second nature and periodically the thought occurs and I have had bagels since then but I really don't make it a top choice so I think that's when I learned oh if I take a small step towards God I get like a ten, ten of them back yes in your well you know what this nutritionist what she did teach me which was really good was to learn when I was hungry in my earlier days in the program, and also my, early, my other days of life, um, 12.30, better eat lunch, I wasn't hungry. 6.30, better eat dinner, wasn't hungry. So learning to recognize hunger signals. And also, she taught me that if I'm active and stuff, you know, that, and I need a snack, and my meals are moderate or smaller, it's not so horrible to snack. Do you know what I mean? If they have boundaries around them. So that's kind of what I learned with her. She and I didn't really discuss calories, but that was the biggest uh, gift, I guess, that I got learning to recognize when I was hungry. But more of the stuff that I learned was stuff that I shunned and poo-pooed over the years, like hearing people in the program saying, you know, I measure certain foods. I measure my grains. If I want nuts or cheese, I measure them. And I hated those people because they were all valley people, and I just hated that. And then I slowly started using cups, but you wouldn't believe how much cereal I could ram into a one cup. You wouldn't believe it. And so then I slowly said, you know what? Let me try a digital food scale. And I, you know, instant message, because, you know, we are a modern age, with a fellow. And I said, hey, what do you think? You know, oh, go try this one, blah, blah, blah. They've got it bed bath. Let's just try these little steps. And now that stuff is second nature to me. And it's really weird, because I hated to hear people said they weighed in measured portions. But that's kind of a fact of life. Unfortunately, if you do want to take off some weight, you do have to, your food does have to get smaller, and your spiritual experience has to get bigger. And your mind has to expand. please work on getting one and discuss with him or her. But for me, um, while the food plan can be a bit more flexible, I try not to play around in it too much. You know what I mean? For example, my food plan doesn't include desserts. Therefore, I really don't eat desserts. Why, why is this not on my abstinence of my three things? Because if I make my abstinence too many no, 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 no's, 
I might just snap one day and might say, screw it, I'm having the cheesecake, and then I've blown, you know, how many years. So um, for me, you know, I had to look at, okay, what's my level of activity? What kind of boundaries am I going to have around these snacks? Is a snack going to be an ice cream cone or a frozen yogurt? For me, it's not. For some people, it might be. For one of my sponsees, it is. And she's at her, you know, relatively normal weight, and this is what she does, and she doesn't do it all the time. So it's really just looking at, you know, what can you bottom line live with? What can you live with day at a time? You know, is it three meals, two snacks? Is it three meals, you know, just a fruit snack? That's, you know, it, it's trial and error. And um, there's uh, there's no hard and fast rules. But I do take my food plan seriously. Um, and I don't, I don't try to play with it too much. Because if I play with my food plan too much, I can then be on a gaining abstinence. So I can be abstinent and gaining weight, which I have done in the program. What would I do? If I had four meals and uh, three snacks, if I had, you know, if I went over the three meals and three snacks rule, if I, um, if I picked up table bread, French fries, or tortilla chips in the basket, that, that's for me. That's my line. Well, you have to restart. Yes, I would be willing to do that. Those are my three. Sorry, I said I was going to mention them, but those are my three. Those are my three that I can't eat like a lady. I know I can't really eat cookies like a lady, but, you know, I've tried the experiment. I've had one and then decided, oh, man, I want a whole bunch more. But I stopped myself and said, okay, maybe cookies on the food plan wasn't such a good idea for today. But, yeah, but fries, like, forget it. Yeah. Yeah. Deprival, um, occasionally resentful, a little bit, you know. But that the cool thing was, you know, most recently the family sharing a piece of cheesecake, and I get to look across the table at my mother, and she looks at me. And, and it was funny because I'd been at a workshop earlier, and someone said, whoa, you're going to Cheesecake Factory? Awesome. They've got the sugar-free, carb low, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's duck food. That's the same as for me as getting the freaking cheesecake, so I'm not even going to go there. So occasionally, but um, not really. Like, my snacks sometimes are a bit sweet, and I really like having, like, fruit. So I found, like, fun ways, you know, like, maybe mix it with a bit of milk. Just, like, weird little things that I do. So I don't feel that deprived. And I do admit, I do sort of like a bit of sweet stuff. Um, but I don't go to the hardcore, like, meh, kind of sweet stuff for me. In terms of fear of uh, gaining weight, oh, yeah, that was an enormous, enormous, enormous fear pretty recently, I would even say like like maybe like five, six months ago. Um, but then I realized, you know what? Gaining weight isn't something that just happens. I have a role in it. So I have to really look at it. It's like if I start padding and having like a latte after every meal, chances are that's probably, do you know what I mean? That's probably going to eventually do something. And if I'm eating like, you know, ton of sodium all the time, that's going to affect the weight too. So um, I'm not as afraid. And I have, with the exception of my big jeans, I've pretty much gotten rid of, yeah, I have gotten rid of the clothes because it's like, you know what, I don't want to go back there. And one day at a time, I don't need to if I, you know, stay with this thing. So. Okay, thank you very much.